This is life. And what a good time to be alive. Remember what a glory it is to be alive right now. I think it's always nice to start by just taking a few deep breaths in. I'm feeling inspired. Nice. Yeah. I'm feeling really energized. Yeah. Um, because I feel like really <laughs> acutely attuned to myself at the moment and kind of like what I'm feeling, when I'm feeling it, and like trying to like break down why I feel certain ways, whether that's deliriously happy mm -hmm. or demotivated. It's just like what is it? And so I'm trying to pay a lot of attention to my feelings. And I feel, you know, there's been like a, a succession of events, capital E, right? Like <laughs> the universe. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> the cosmos. Okay. And I keep bumping into these amazing queer black people. Nice. And it's so like, nourishing yeah. to like to look at someone and to have a conversation with someone and to approach that conversation with such openness and there's almost like an inherent understanding that we're starting from the same place mm -hmm. and I know I've only realized really recently how comforting that is to mm -hmm. not have to like do all the calculations and be like, does this person, should I talk about race with them? Or yeah, like hiding. You know, yeah. and we don't realize that we make all these de deductions like so really true. quickly yeah. before we open our mouths. Yeah. And then even in that process of speaking with someone, yeah. we're still trying to like figure out if we have to alter this calculus, right? Like, is this the right thing to be yeah. speaking with them about. So meeting all these queer black people who are reveling in their blackness and in their queerness. Definitely. It's just, it's so inspiring. Yeah. And then um, you said you, you're more in tune with yourself. Mm. Why, like, why do you think that is? Is there anything you've been doing in particular? I've been... How did you, how did you get there? <laughs> <laughs> well, how does one get there? I don't think one ever makes it there. No. Right? Like, I'm not like a transcendental, I don't even meditate like, my meditation is not like, deep breath in, deep breath out, <laughs> calm your thoughts. It is a flowing river and I'm watching it, go. like it's, I can't, I can do it. I'm sure I can do anything I put my mind to, but. I love that. <laughs> my meditation is reading and what I've realized, and this I've re I realized this a number of years ago, but after everything that happened, when I felt like I was emotionally spinning out of control, I was like, what can I hang on to that centers me? Mm -hmm. 
and to like sit on my own in a dark room like I had been doing shortly after it all happened wasn't the answer. It just felt like I need to, I'm a connector, mm -hmm. so I need to connect people, ideas, places, quotes, you know, um, theories. I need to connect things together. So as I was spinning out of control, I was like, I need to connect to something. I need to grab onto something. And so I just dove back into books. Nice. Yeah, and it just felt like it was a way, and I, and I, I dove into books that I needed, right? Because I was searching for an answer, or I was searching for the right question to ask so that I would get the right answer. Yeah. And I couldn't find that on my own. So I just have been diving into books. And I think I'm in data gathering mode. Yeah. I'm like sucking up. I'm reading like yeah. four books a week. I'm just like getting through them so quickly because I it's I'm <laughs> I have this image in my head of like me feeding like a wild animal on like books, but <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like that at the moment. It feels yeah. So my meditation is reading, and so as far as what I've done, I've just like carved out time to read every day, and as much as I want, like just. You know, I'm doing some like night shifts at this bar. Mm -hmm. So I have like my days free. Yeah. And I wake up and I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna read until I don't wanna read anymore. And just giving myself that permission in itself feels like a meditation. Yeah. It feels like an act of self love. Nice. And uh, so the books, reading is very inspiring, basically. Reading is so inspiring. Yeah. You know, I was reading Bayard Rustin's letters. Yeah. And Bayard Rustin, um, you know, was a, one of the most important civil rights figures. And he was a prodigious <laughs> letter writer. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of letters that he wrote. And they reveal his mind, his strategy for the civil rights movement, but also his personal mind, what he was struggling with, what he couldn't, what he couldn't get his head around. You know, when people were telling him to, um, to hide his sexuality, yeah. he was considering it. And so to see someone I admire struggle with himself, yeah. his place in the world, how much of himself to reveal, the mistakes that he made and how he had to reckon with those mistakes. So that helped. That's nice. It's yeah. like, yeah, we all go through this. But sometimes you only see the one side. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm also getting really used to like, this knowing look that people give me. Yeah. You know, they're like, it happened the other day. I was having a conversation with someone and he went, you're actually really nice. And I was like, I know. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he had in his head this image of me as this kind of person that yeah. I used to be, yeah. and who I've become. And so, he, it's like this, look is this. <laughs> what? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're getting it a lot now. I'm not a monster. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm getting it a lot. Okay. And but people are saying it, you know, they're not like yeah. just quietly thinking it. They're like, you're actually really nice. And I'm like, yeah, cheers. <laughs> 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 Thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah. So yeah, can, do you want to talk a little bit about like how you have grown and changed over the years? Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's such a Broad question. It's really broad. If you can narrow it down to start. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, do you want to dive into what you mentioned earlier about what you've experienced? 
maybe not. But not as like a shame based, just because I don't want that to be my story forever. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm sure it would. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I'll tell you what it's um, made me realize. Because I think, you know, whenever, whenever we experience something, whether that's loss or trauma or disappointment, yeah. something can come out of that. And in many ways, my situation kind of revealed to me what I cared about most. And it was in the realization of what I cared about most that made it easier for me to heal and to move forward, right? Because I was like, I wasn't worried about losing the job because people lose jobs all the time. That's so true. I wasn't worried about being humiliated. I mean, I was humiliated, embarrassed. Yeah. <clears throat> but that's not what upset me most. What upset me most was that I had fractured, or in many cases lost, the trust of the people that I was here to serve. Mm. And I was like, you know, laying in bed, and I was like, what is it, what is it, what is it, what is it? And trying to grasp onto the feeling, mm. and like going through that, I'm like, no, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that. And then getting to that trust, that word trust, that popped into my head, and me going, oh, fuck. That's it. That's what it is. And immediately my like, because so much of loss or trauma or situations like that is confusion, it's disorientation. Yes, yes. Was I ever going in the right direction? Yeah. Will I ever be okay again? How do I get back to me? Where, where am I? <laughs> Who am I? God, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. It's so disorienting. Yeah. And disorientation is stressful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So how did you find the like, or, or how did you deal with that confusion? Um, reading. Yeah. A lot of talking. Talking. Yeah, to myself. Nice. <laughs> um, and trying to, you know, speaking to my mom a great deal. Yeah. And to my best friend. And then taking in what the positive that was coming towards me. Right? So, the people who reached out to say, get back up, mm. you're okay, mm. you'll get through this, we see you, get back up, you'll get through this. And taking those words in the spirit in which they were intended and accepting them. Yeah, and it was hard at first to accept that because I felt like I fucked up so badly. <laughs> and, you know, because I think... I've always struggled with this potential, right? Capital P, potential. <laughs> All we can be, right? And I felt like all I could be had been potentially <laughs> destroyed because of who I used to be. Mm -hmm. Which is not true, because that's not how life works, right? Like, yeah. you grow and you get older and you learn and you learn how to communicate your feelings internally and externally. You learn how to move through the world. You bump up to role models. You grab a mentor. You ask questions. You start an organization. You write articles. Like, that was my growth process. Yeah. And so I had, I had taken all these steps to bring myself out of what was a deep depression 
to be useful to the world yeah. and to myself, really. And so, yeah, so I struggled with that because I already, I already suffer from a terrible imposter syndrome, like I think most people do. Yeah, like, you're right. Who am I to be doing this? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then when everyone was like, fraud, <laughs> I was like, oh. yeah. you're right, you're right, I'm a fraud. <laughs> it felt like really. Yeah, it's so true. I was just having a conversation with someone the other day about imposter syndrome, and it's like, it just takes over you. And mm. it's like, why am I doing this? But actually, yeah, it's definitely something to overcome. I actually do that sometimes. I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, I do. At home, like. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I think the truth is, everyone experiences it. I think so. <laughs> Someone said the other day, if you don't suffer from imposter syndrome, you're not human. Yeah. And I was like, fair. <laughs> fair. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. And he has a doctor. He like he has a PhD. Oh wow. Yeah, from Oxford. Wow. Okay. And he was like, even I suffer from imposter syndrome, and I was like. <laughs> Yeah. And I expect little old me will do it too. <laughs> yeah, but nobody knows what they're doing. Yeah, people. nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. Mm. So, um, yeah, I wanted to talk maybe a bit about your purpose. Because I think mm -hmm. through this you said like the people that you be or believed in you, you felt like maybe they weren't really there anymore. So is it like, so do you think that you found some sort of purpose through that. Yeah, so oh, what I was saying was that it had revealed my purpose. Ah, uh, okay. Right, and that there was, you know, and everyone who knows me had stood by me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There, there isn't a single person who was like, I can't believe you used to be a little dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it was just like, you know, yeah. I hate that you said that, but you know, yeah. I got you. Yeah. And so, yeah, so my purpose was, um, I mean, I knew my purpose before. Yeah. But when I realized that I had lost the trust of the community I was here to serve and that, that was what I was most devastated about, it was like more clear to me that my purpose is here to serve the queer community. And right. I had never really said it like that publicly. And I had only kind of started forming that purpose in my head, exactly. though I was pretty sure that was the direction I was moving. And I was like, well, let me just let it percolate, you know, and just let it simmer and see if that is what I'm here to do. Mm -hmm. And then the situation, I went smack, <laughs> scraped my face off the floor and was like, I'm going to get back up. Nice. So, and then once I realized that once that purpose kind of like, you know like the magic eight balls and you like shake them and then like the thing turns over and reveals itself. That, that's what it was. It was like oh, the queer wow. community. And I was like, oh, yeah. So then I didn't have any choice but to get back up. That's amazing. Yeah, thanks. I'm really pleased. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. a horrible situation. Yeah. And it, I, you know, it, when I say horrible, it's not like, ah, it's horrible. But like, so much of that situation was me and a younger version of myself being thrown into a public space and then spat at and pointed at and laughed at and, and that was really painful. Yeah, of course. So when I say horrible, I mean that. Yeah. Feeling that like that exposed. Yeah, it must have been quite challenging. <clears throat> mm. But then Jane Fonda, this is on Instagram. Jane, someone posted, sent a video to me of Jane Fonda saying, you know, the moment I thought I was broken, I was actually broken open. Oh my word, that's so good. 
<laughs> and I started laughing hysterically, as I do when the universe speaks to yeah, me. Yeah. I always laugh. And like, I, okay, I hear you. Yeah. And then, um, I saw that and I was just laughing hysterically. Because it was like broken open. And that transformed how I was thinking about my emotions. Yeah. So, um, the rawness of the emotions was mm. like, you know, it was like an exposed nerve. Mm. It feels like they're really sore yeah. to the touch. They're really sensitive. But this openness, this exposure, as I saw it, was actually things flooding in. Positive things flooding That's in. So nice. So it's kind of like just changing your perception. Yeah, it helped me shift that perception. Yeah. To say, okay, I could either be yeah. exposed, raw, vulnerable, yeah. carcass, yeah, <laughs> yeah. roadkill. Or I could be raw, vulnerable, but open to what the universe is saying yeah. and what the people around me are yeah. saying. And maybe like to say, step into your purpose and your power. Step into it, yeah. yeah. And then it was great because, you know, these ideas that I'd been sitting on for so long, whether that's my new podcast, Busy Being Black, or these documentaries I want to make, you know, I've now been writing treatments and recording interviews and it's like, you know, because <laughs> I saw Ricky Beetle Blair the other night and he was like, God, like, will nudge you and then he'll go whack <laughs> if you don't listen. <laughs> oh my God. And I was like, that's what happened to me. It's really nice that you have this sense of purpose in your life. I think there's a lot of people who are looking for that, trying to find. So, just wondering, like, how did you stumble across it? How did you? I was at an event. I remember the moment. <coughs> there was two. Excuse me. <coughs> there were two big moments. Yeah. The first was in the summer of 2015, and I was at the barber getting my hair cut, and I was reading about the Baltimore riots. Okay. And it was an article in the New York Times, and I, I think. In this particular article, it was like the gut, the mayor of Baltimore was kind of admonishing the black youth for rioting, you know, because the whole thing, you know, they tried to set the whole city on fire. And oh I started crying because I was like, I hope they burn that city to the ground, right? Because another young black man had been murdered. And my barber was like, yo, man, you good? And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, this is just so infuriating. And so I finished my haircut, went outside, called my mom, and I was crying, and she was like, what is wrong? And I was like, it's literally by the grace of God that I'm not there, right? My dad's African-American. Okay. It's just chance, yeah. decisions I've made, choices yeah. I've made, that have brought me to be in London for 13 years and not somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And I felt that so acutely in that moment. And so that's when I became like a black man, that I awoke it, that I woke up, that I was like, I have to do something about this. Yeah. And I said to my mom, what do I do about this? And she says, I've got no fucking clue. <laughs> and I was like, not helpful, but I'll figure it out, you know? So then I started to think about really hard about, like, well, how do I, how do I begin to have conversations that I've never wanted to have before? And these were conversations about race and about how my sexuality intersects with my race and like what it means to move through the world as a black man or as a mixed race man I don't identify as mixed race anymore but you know like all these questions that I didn't want to answer just it was yeah. like the floodgates opened yeah. and the second moment was in early 2016 I was at I was at an event called coming out as an entrepreneur mm. 
And I was like sitting in the audience listening to these really amazing LGBTQ people speaking from like investment, uh, freedom, uh, VC fund, civil servant, and someone in the third sector. And they were like talking about not being able to be themselves at work. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? You know, like, <laughs> I came out at 16 like a pink unicorn. I <laughs> <laughs> have always walked into every room in a professional setting or in a personal setting like it's mine. So I didn't understand that. And I was having this conversation and like bucket loads of wine afterwards with my friend Barry. And I was like, we've got to do something about this. And you're like guzzling wine and you're like, I'm going to change the world. Yeah. And that was the second moment that okay. another floodgate opened. And I was like, ah, I'm Josh Rivers. My family has always raised me to be Josh Rivers. Okay. And so when I came out, I came out and I didn't realize it at the time, but I had been built up. I had been, I have a great foundation. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's a shaky foundation, but it's a foundation. Mm -hmm. And I realized that you know, for whatever went wrong in my childhood, whatever disappointments and resentments I was holding on to, didn't take away from the fact that my family raised me to stand up straight, to walk into a room like I own it, that I have a right to anything I want in this world, mm. to say my full name, you know, to know that I could be myself. So nice. And it took me that moment to realize they gave me that, I mean, they gave me a lot of other shit too, yeah. but <laughs> stuff I'm still trying to get rid of. But, you know, they did give me good as well as bad. And so I remember I called my dad that night and I said, I just want to say thanks because I don't oh. think I've ever acknowledged that my coming out was actually relatively easy and that, yeah. you know, you've actually done some good in my life. <laughs> not like a horrible monster that I made you out to be. And so that was the second awakening, right? And so those two awakenings then were like, that was the universe was like one, two, and then I was like, I see you, <laughs> right? And because before then I had felt so lost. Wow. And I had felt so, wow. what am I doing? Yeah. Like, you know? So it kind of just happened. It wasn't like necessarily anything. I, my interest had been piqued in the news because of the Black Lives Matter movement. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I was already shifting my mindset in some way, okay, yeah, right? Yeah. So, yeah. but I didn't know that I was doing it. I was just like, this is yeah. interesting because my family's African-American and actually I should know more about this. Yes. And then when the Baltimore riots struck and I had that moment and I realized that it was yeah. just by the grace of God that that kid wasn't me. Yeah. And then when I had that second event and yeah. I realized that my gayness, <laughs> You know, my poncho for hot pants and celebrating being gay because I love being gay. That's <laughs> okay. like my favorite thing. I, it's, yeah, who you are. it's who I am. And those two moments kind of came together. And then I was, then the question stopped being, what the fuck am I doing here? Amazing. And became, what am I going to do about this? Yeah. Hi. Right? What am I going to do? What am I gonna do? <laughs> you know? And but once I started asking that question, because I'm a doer. Yeah, so yeah, once I started yeah. asking myself that question, and everything's in the questions you're asking, right? Yeah. So what am Thank I gonna you. do? And I was like, I'm gonna ask that. I'm gonna start an organization. So I started Series Q. 
and worked with Barry and the team on doing that. And I then I quit my job and was like, I'm gonna go work gay full time. Yeah. And then you know, spend more time with my mentor, yeah. focused on media, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so my awakening was relatively recently. It was 2015. But that just, I think it's just testament that like once you realize, once you get it, it's very easy to go in the right direction. Mm. Right? Like once, once I got it and I asked myself that question, what are you going to do? I started running in that direction. Now I might have ran too fast, too quick. <laughs> too high. <laughs> And that's okay, right? Yeah, yeah. Because like failure is a part of yeah. that. And I think also some people they hear it but they don't know to afraid. Yeah, that's totally true. Yeah. That's totally true. Yeah. Because if I even think about where I want to go next, I know what the answer is because I'm listening, but I'm but, scared to admit it. Wow, yeah. <clears throat> it's like I'm scared to admit it. it, yeah. Yeah. So true. So it's like, ah so I think and because I don't think that our purpose doesn't ever evolve or change. I, I, in fact, I think, I think it does evolve and change. Okay. I think it becomes, I think as, you know, because I think my purpose at the moment is broad. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe it becomes more customized. Yeah. Right? I think we have yeah. to keep listening because yeah. just yeah. because I want to serve the queer community doesn't mean I want to serve, I have to figure out in which way I want to serve yeah. it. I have to figure out where my voice is best used. Yeah. I have to figure out what my skills yeah. are, my limitations are. And, yeah. and so that purpose will refine That's until true. it's like, uh, I'm going to serve queer people of color through the forms of yeah. media and as a cultural ambassador. I don't know. You know, we're just like pulling shit yeah. there. But I think it's like that. But it, and it, there's no way that it can come to you what it wants because that's the whole point you learn as you go. I think it's not so. Like it's just going to be like, yeah. Yeah, and then you're like, problem solved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's like that. I think it's this evolving yeah. thing. Yeah, when you ha when you had those like awakening moments and realizations, how does it make you feel? Oh, that's right. So yeah. the the barbershop moment, the yeah. Baltimore riots, felt like raw and emotional from a very kind of like hot, oh, yeah. visceral place. You know, it felt almost like anger. Wow. Yeah, it was very wow. close to anger. But the type of anger that can be used, right? Mm -hmm. Not blind rage. Yeah. But like, I'm angry about this. You know, you get angry about something, you're like, I'm gonna fix it. Yeah. Or you, you know, devolve into rage. But it felt like a very kind of generative rage, anger. It felt like a generative anger. Um, and then the, the second moment, the um, coming out as an entrepreneur moment, was a kind of a, a bewilderment. You know, I was like, I didn't realize that people felt this way. Mm. Why didn't I realize that mm. people felt this way? Mm. I got to do something about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, as I explored though, that thought in particular more, you know, this idea that, you know, queer people can't be themselves at work. That makes me angry too. Yeah. But it makes me angry because I'm thinking of all the queer kids who don't feel like they can be themselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I do, like, the, the queer activism really comes when I think about the kids. I think about, like, a new generation of mm. youth mm. who, for whatever reasons, 
are still killing themselves in higher numbers, are still struggling in higher numbers, are homeless, are being kicked out by their families. Yeah. Like, all that stuff makes me mad. Yeah. Um, so do you think that anger is part of the process? So that's like, maybe the first stage? Yeah, because I think, the, I don't know, is the opposite of anger apathy? Yeah. Right? Is it like... Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it is the opposite, but it feels for me the opposite of anger is apathy. <laughs> I just feel like, <clears throat> and also because I used to have such a terrible anger when I was younger, and that anger was born out of me not well disappointment and resentment. We'll count we'll, we'll count those as like standard, but it was like an inability to communicate what was going on in my head, which mm -hmm. is why now I care so deeply about communication because I've learned mm -hmm. the power of language. Yeah. And so, then there was the resentment that came with like me being thrust out into the world, you know? Even though I had like the support of my family in coming out, like there was no advice on coming out. There wasn't like, here's a book you should read or like, you know, there are no lessons that I learned from my parents about how to be gay. And so I kind of like skipped off into the world <laughs> with my hot pants on and feel like at many, many times I just got chewed to pieces. Yeah. Right? It felt like so many mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> One after the other. Wow. And yeah. so many like dead ends and like, you know, and so when I came into all this literature in my late 20s and films like um, Looking for Langston and Tongues Untied and Brother Outsider, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> like, <laughs> why didn't I know all this stuff sooner? Mm -hmm. So. That is part of my motivation for doing it as well, because there is a queer black canon, right? Like, and that, and people should be able to draw from that, should be able to see themselves represented more widely, yeah. should know that, you know, queer black people will inherit the earth. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel, you know, because if you look back through history, we played this amazing role yeah, yeah, in some yeah. of the biggest movements. Yeah. And, you know, disco, queer black people, yeah. civil yeah. rights, queer black people. Yeah. It's just, and that's just two, right? <laughs> One more serious than the other, but, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. we've been here. And actually last year I did a great deal of work with the National Portrait Gallery. And I had been to the British Library and was to this exhibition they did called, like, Gay UK or something, you know, prosaic. but. I was like looking through this collection, which was ultimately relatively small, if you think about the grand scope of the British Library. But it was like, this thought came into my head, our histories are written. Our histories are written. Our histories are written. And I was like, yeah, our histories are written. And it was the universe saying like, keep looking in these national institutions. Yeah, no. Yeah. And it, the more I looked in these national institutions and was looking, you know, so you go search for it sometimes, but the moment I was like, we've always been here. That was like yeah, the big yeah. aha. We've always been here. Yeah. And so then that has informed what I'm doing because it's like, you know, I discovered these things by luck many times and also because I got a mentor who introduced me to other people, who introduced me to other people, who introduced me to other people. Yeah. And they were like putting this stuff in front of me. And the more I consume this work, the more energized and the more I'm like why don't people more people know about this I find it just to be completely 
Yeah. So my purpose is already being refined in that way because I'm like, maybe I'm an amplifier. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm a, maybe I connect and I amplify. Yeah, it sounds very closely related to like your identity. Hugely. Yeah. So it's because I'm trying to figure out what my place is in the world. Exactly. I'm trying to figure out who I am. You know, I had a conversation with um, a man named John in early 2016. I was reading the Malcolm X autobiography. Uh, that's, I guess that's moment three. <clears throat> I was reading the Malcolm X autobiography and um, was, I think it's quite near the front of the book. And it's, he's talking about, he had like an adopted family or something and he realized they wouldn't stop calling him the N-word even in front of him or referring to him as the N-word and that he realized he was always going to be subhuman mm. in the eyes of these people who were supposed to care for him. Yeah. And I went to this dinner with John and I just kind of like sat down and he was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I don't know what to do here at this intersection of black and queer. Mm. Like, I don't know what, I'm stuck. Mm. I don't know who to be, how to be, mm. what to say, what I can say, what I should be reading, what I should be looking at, where to begin. Like, there's, I've got so many questions and I feel like I've reached this, like, aporia. Like, I can't, I can't move forward. I yeah. can't resolve this. Yeah. Do you feel like, um, so far it's kind of been like you haven't been able to be yourself? Yes. Yeah. I haven't been able to live in the fullness of myself. Yeah. I mean, I've had ideas about who I am, if that makes wow. sense. Not just, like, gay and black. But like ideas about who Josh Rivers is. Yeah. And I haven't been able to communicate who I think that person is. Yeah. I haven't been able to reconcile feelings or belief systems or, you know, spirituality and religion and where do I fall? Am I spiritual and religious? How do I embrace a God who I've learned doesn't want anything to do with me? How do I recultivate that relationship with him? And so these are all things I haven't really figured out the answers to, but then I'm figuring them out no. because I'm bumping into this immense body of work, but also these incredible people mm. who tackled these questions and tried to find those answers through their work. Yeah. So people like Campbell X, who just released um, Visible, mm. and it's this wonderful amalgam of excuse me, all these like queer, brown and black faces, trans, cis, intersex, you know, like talking about how proud they are to be yeah. black. I like it, how you say it's involved through your work. It's like combining everything. Yeah, because I'm, a, you know, yeah, I like suck up everything. Yeah. <laughs> and I make those connections. Yeah, and I'm making those like... connections because I'm trying to, I don't, think I fall into like, I don't think the answer is ever just delivered to you on a little silver plate that says, here's the answer, right? It's like, it, that's not how it works. And instead it's like, you gather as much information as you can and you continue to gather that information and then you make the connections. Mm -hmm. You know, someone says something in this book that lights you up inside, pay attention to that. Yeah. Someone says something in this film or shows an image in a film that lights you up inside, pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. And then take in the entire body of work because there's so much to learn from that body of work. Watch it twice, read it twice, 
listen to it twice and, and, and figure out what it is within that body of work that speaks to you. And so this work that I'm consuming is informing who I am, which is informing yeah. the work that I do. Yeah. Or everything. Every, but everything's connected. Yeah. Exactly. We're all connected. I'm reading a lot about black lesbians at the moment yeah. because I don't understand their experience. Yeah. I mean, I understand what it is to be a black lesbian, but like, same, you know, women loving women. Yeah. But like, I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what, um, you know, identity challenges they're mm -hmm. struggling against. I don't know what it means to move through the world as a black woman and then to layer on lesbian on top of that. Mm -hmm. And then lesbian is obviously connected to the masculine and the feminine. So what happens when they're challenging that? And what I'm learning is that these are all imbricated, as in we're all overlapping. All of our identities are kind of like stuck together, effectively, right? Because yeah, yeah. a black lesbian buying, oh, that's a really, it's crude, but it's not crude. A, you know, a black lesbian buying a dildo, for example, realizes that her cisgender black siblings, right? Her straight black brothers, have to look at that when they go into a sex shop or they have to deal with that image of themselves in pornography or in mass media as these kind of virile sex monsters. Yeah. So the simple act of a black lesbian buying a dildo makes her think of her cisgender straight brothers. Mm. Right? So we're all connected in that way. You said when we were in the pop shop, like, you suddenly were confronted with these questions that you didn't want to ask yourself. Yeah. Why do you think that you didn't want to? I didn't want to ask myself because my dad, I was 12 or 13 and I was getting bullied really badly by the black boys at school. And I came home and I said, I just don't understand. And he like pulled my arm out and turned it over. And he said, you see that? And I was like, no. <laughs> He's like, your veins, you know, you can see your veins. In the slave days, because my dad's dark skinned, my, this is my dad speaking, he says, in the slave days, I'd have been a field nigger, you'd have been a house nigger. And I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> you know? So these dark-skinned black boys don't like me because I'm light-skinned. <clears throat> and I had nothing to do with that. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, wow. then I'm not having this conversation ever again. Because okay. I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> you yeah, know, as yeah, a kid, yeah, it's yeah, easy yeah. to say this stuff, right? This is stupid. This doesn't make any sense. I can't control this. Yeah. Um, but I decided, no. And they... <clears throat> And they teased me a lot, you know, you're an uppity nigga, and they thought that I thought I was better than everybody else because I was, I did well in school, and I dressed the way I dressed, and I was a bit fey, you know, and I got teased a lot for thinking I was better than everybody else. And so when my dad told me that, I was like, well, I am going to be better than everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been a pretentious asshole, you know, it's like... <laughs> I was just like, I'm just gonna be that guy they think I am. And so I did that, right? I became that guy. And I became the guy whose, <clears throat> my intellect and my intelligence was so important to me. And if anyone challenged it, I was furious. But I also didn't like move into it in such a way that I have in recent years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I just didn't want to own it, but I didn't want you to challenge it. Yeah. Whereas now I'm like, why not that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm like, try me. <laughs> um, and so that's been a part of my development as well as like, you're allowed to be smart. You know, you're allowed to 
read books. Yes. And just because those guys called you an uppity nigga when you were younger, yeah. So you were an uppity nigga. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, so what? And it's okay. Yeah, it's yeah. okay. <laughs> we're all evolving. We're all evolving. And I think actually pretentiousness is funny because I think actually I was reading Dan Fox's book, Pretentiousness and Why It Matters. And actually none of the cultural moves that we make would be possible without pretentiousness. Mm -hmm. Right? Without mm -hmm. wanting to figure out the answers to things. Yeah, you without need it. You need it. That's right? You need people to rise above their station. Oh, yeah. You know, to, to bring the working class experience into the hallowed halls of national institutions. Like, you need people to do that work. Yeah. And that is ultimately, you know, that's ultimately what pretension is. Yeah. And look, I'm light-skinned, I look a certain way, I don't have to think about race really if I don't want to, right? I think I'm privileged in that respect that, I mean, you're the same probably, we can probably take a step back from it, particularly in a place like the UK where yeah. People who look like us are one in four people. <laughs> We're everywhere. <laughs> so it's probably... Yeah, I think so. I think we could. It doesn't mean we ought to. And it certainly doesn't mean I want to. I don't. Yeah, yeah. But I think I was afforded that privilege, even though I didn't realize it. <clears throat> and so when those floodgates opened, I had to start asking, answering the questions that, mm, I, okay. that I might have answered a, yeah. a long time ago. It's nice that you managed to move past that from your past, because sometimes it can, like, you can hold on to it. Yeah, for sure. And I think that like, my blackness was always challenged. Always. Even in my family it was challenged. Wow. And it was challenged in school, and it was challenged in bars, and it was challenged everywhere I went. You know, you're not black, you're mixed race. You're not black, you're not black, you're not black. And I'm like, well, what is black? And then, you know, because of because I'm gay, I felt like the black community didn't want anything to do with me. So I also didn't want to be black. I felt like, well, this community doesn't want anything to do with me, so why would I want to be black? I called myself um, mixed race for so long, because I was like, what would my mom say if I was running around calling myself black? And my mom was like, you ought to be calling yourself black. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like, and she's actually said, I'm really glad that you're identifying as black now. She thinks it's really important. So what do you, for you, what is the difference? <clears throat> Tell me. What is the difference for you? The difference for me is that blackness is not monolithic. Mm. And that just because I'm gay doesn't make me any less black. And just because I'm light-skinned doesn't make me any less black. And just because I'm mixed race doesn't make me any less black. Actually, if anything, if more of us lean into our blackness, right, this which is at this point really a socio-political identifier. Yeah. If more of us lean into this blackness, it doesn't, it only expands what blackness can be, right? I was thinking about this phrase that blackness absorbs, right? Like, yeah, 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 it yeah. absorbs. Yeah. And so there's just different types of black, as it were, right? And there's just different ways of manifesting that blackness. And so it was just so important for me to be like, yeah, I'm black. And actually, this is a shared history. It's a collective history. This is our... I mean, I am... My, my family is slave stock. The reason I'm here is because nine generations of Africans survived. <laughs> but that first generation survived the Middle Passage. Like... That's nuts to me. So and thinking about that is a spiritual experience. Yeah, 100%. Like that, that's a meditation. Yeah. To realize that um, 
James Baldwin was in a debate at Cambridge in the 60s, and he was talking, he was saying, you know, the blood of my ancestors, the soil of America is filled with the blood of my ancestors. If one has to claim one's title to the land, isn't 400 years enough? Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> Just like shot through me yeah. like a bolt of lightning. Yeah. And I am however many generations, yeah. nine and ten generations slave. Yeah. Yeah. So if I gotta claim my title to blackness, <laughs> I'm black by virtue of my ancestry, of my history, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so I feel like really confident in my blackness now, whereas before I really didn't. Ask you, if you have, what advice would you give to someone who who's going through like in a similar experience? <laughs> I'm like, delete your tweet. No, I would. <laughs> If I, <laughs> you know, it's really hard to give advice. Yeah. Particularly unsolicited advice. Yeah. Um, but maybe like someone's been struggling as well, maybe with our identity. <clears throat> yeah. I think for me, the biggest thing has perhaps been cultivating self-awareness. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it feels really important. <laughs> but also not, I let other people define me for so long, and not even define me, but I, I looked to other people and just mimicked them. Mm. And I let what was important to them dictate what was important to me. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's like individual people, but also like, I thought that being gay meant wearing purple Gucci suits and being really flamboyant and really outspoken and drinking cocktails and doing drugs, like, and being like the life of the party. I thought that's what gay being meant. Yeah. I thought that's what being gay meant. Yeah. And I thought there was only like one way to be gay. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I spent so much time trying to figure out how to be gay versus just how to be Josh Rivers. Oh my word, that's so good. <laughs> just, yeah. just be yourself. And I know just yeah. be yourself makes it sound very simple. Yeah. But I think that's why self-awareness becomes so important. Because self-awareness isn't how do I look, what am I doing, and what am I, what am I saying? Yeah. It's how do I feel? Yeah. What am I thinking? What am I saying about myself to myself? Love that. that that's for me is what self-awareness is. Nice. Um, and also, I try to pay attention to those moments that you light up. Mm -hmm. And they do come. Yeah. If it was when I was studying cultural studies in my unfinished fashion degree, yeah. that was my favorite time of the week, yeah. was that moment in cultural studies. And now I'm going to try to go back to need to study cultural studies. Mm -hmm. It's like I had those moments of electricity in me yeah. and I didn't pay attention to them. Mm -hmm. And it's taken me 10 years, yeah. it's been 10 years <laughs> to yeah. come back around and say, oh my God, I'm really interested in culture. <laughs> Cultivating self-awareness. Don't measure yourself based on other people. And don't try to, don't think about what it means to be gay. Yeah. Think about what it means to be you. you. Yeah.
who you who, are, what are your values, what do you believe in, who do you want to be? Yeah, and what does it mean? Or, like, what does being Joshua's mean to you? What does freedom mean? Freedom feels a lot like right now. Hi. It's kind of like a delusional freedom because, like, I have to pay rent. <laughs> I'm worrying about where that rent is coming from. But yeah. it feels like where my mind is right now versus, like, where yeah. my body is. Because at the moment, I feel in some ways kind of chained to London. And I think being Josh Rivers um, means speaking up, standing up for what I believe in, making people laugh, um, being a force for good in my life and in the life of others. Um, yeah. Yeah. And fighting. Like fighting for what I think is right. Yeah. And, you know, I do want to be someone that people can look up to. Mm -hmm. I want people to look at me and say, I can do that. Mm, it's fine. And I want them to do better than me, right? Like, yeah. I want them to be like, I can do that and I can do it better. Yeah. And for them to know what is possible. Yeah. You know, so much about my life has been waking up yeah. and then seeing what possibility looks and feels like. Mm, that's so nice. And being like, that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. I can do that. Yeah. I can be that. And just own it and just like recognizing that sitting with that. With, you know, demons, you know? And I'm getting better at dealing with them, but mm -hmm. I'm not by any means um, where I will be mm -hmm. in terms of self love, but I'm getting better. Like okay. I'm practicing. Yeah. And self love for me is, um, has very much been about changing my limiting beliefs and changing the limiting language I use yeah. about myself yeah. in my head. Yeah. Right? Because in my head is this like really persistent critic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Loud. Yeah. Amazing. And he says, you're not good enough. Do that again. Do that. Do that. You need to be perfect. Do that. Do that. Yeah. And don't do it like that. And don't do it. You messed up. And he's, he can be really yeah. loud. Yeah. For you personally, is there anything like that you do in particular that helps you to cultivate self-love? Yeah, and to not listen to that voice. Yeah, so I, I, I changed the language that I use when I'm speaking to myself. No. So I'm like very aware of that. And why I can hear myself saying, ugh, when I look in the mirror. Mm. And I go, hey, you look great. Nice. And I do, you know, if I go to the gym for 30 minutes, you went to the gym. Well done. Yeah. You know. Um, and so self-love is like... Nice. That's, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Calm down, bro. Yeah. <laughs> We were born to feel.